Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. I want to say as your lead pastor, a happy new year to you. Uh, here we are, 2020, and can you believe it? It's, it's unbelievable uh, in some ways. Uh, how we, we, how we got here, <laughs> but we are here, and we will we'll face all kinds of transitions in a new year, and I'm willing to bet one of the practical challenges you will face is this one right here. I know I will. Next slide, please. All right. I will spend the first eight months of 2020 still thinking it's 2019, and by the time I get used to writing that or typing that, uh, it'll change to 2021. Uh, uh, on New Year's Eve, I found myself uh, more specifically not just reflecting on some practical changes, but on, um, I found myself reflecting on 10 years uh, because we have rolled over into obviously a new decade. And I actually sat down and I, uh, I, I and wrote out the major things that happened uh, to me over the last 10 years. Uh, almost a decade in review. I'm sure that you may have not written them down, but you probably start thinking back. And I'm not going to go into the detail, but here's what I felt because of the, the transitions and the moments over the last 10 years of my life since 2010. Uh, unsettled, uh, moving from one job to another before I had a job. I was, uh, you know, unsettled, uh, blessed, over, over some things that God was doing in my life at the time. I went through some pain as my walk, walk with the Lord and just in life in general. Uh, uncertainty, uh, confusion, uh, 2013 to 2014, that's when some of my kids became teenagers. That's why you're seeing uncertainty <laughs> and confusion, right? Questioning the existence of God, just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, blessing, uh, questioning, joy, uh, loss, and of course, strength. And those are some of, of my, my experiences. And, and I would love to be able to say that I grew as a person and, and spiritually through all of the positive turns in my life, but it is only through these, this, this entire experience that I can say that I, I think I've grown. And um, I bet for most of the people in the room today, if you had lived long enough, the last 10 years look similar to this, hasn't it? I am, I am not, I'm not um, uh, any more special than anybody in this room. I think if you, you had a look at your 10 years, it may, it may look a little different. The, the list may be, be a little different, but uh, certainly some of, some of the experiences. And I bet um, if you live long enough, you will experience more. Uh, what? Um, I, would, I would venture to guess that transitions and, and blessings and celebrations, and some pain, some questions, some blessings, some strengths, some questions will make up the next 10 years of your life. So what will sustain us through all those transitions? The book of Ruth is the perfect story for us to tackle the idea of what will sustain us through all the different layers of our life. The story of, of Ruth really tackles two big churchy words that we don't often use, but words like sovereignty and providence. 
the sovereignty of God, this basically means that God is the absolute authority of, and, and he is in control of my life. Providence, this is, this is where God begins to intervene and, and work in our lives. It's, it's, it's his hand on our life. So we, we take these, these two big ideas, God is in control, and he's all-powerful, and he's intervening and working in our lives. And we see this played out in this story of the book of Ruth. And if you pay close attention, it's really the story of your life. And that's the beauty of the Bible. It doesn't hide from us both the blessings and the pain of people's life, like Naomi and Ruth. And I want to walk you through the story of Ruth, particularly chapter 2. And you're, you're not only going to see the elements of this in Ruth's life, but you will once again see God's sovereignty and providence in your life. But you're also going to see their struggle with it, and ours as well. And so we see Naomi and Ruth in a difficult transition in, in chapter 1. Let's, let's have a look at their decade in review Per se. And Naomi, who has been born and raised in Bethlehem and, and now moved away with her, her husband, she had two sons and they married and lived in Moab and away from God's people. But during that season of life, she loses her husband, lost. And she loses her two sons. Devastation. A great famine has hit the land, and the only person left with her is one of her daughter-in-laws by the name of Ruth. So how would you feel if your life unraveled this way? But Ruth and Naomi tell us how they feel about it. So as we see chapter 1 in, and I want us to see one verse where Naomi tells us how she really feels about her decade in review, her experiences over the last couple years of her life. It says in Ruth 1, verse 20, it says, don't call me Naomi. This is Naomi speaking, obviously. Because Naomi means blessed. Call me Mara. Because Mara means what? Bitterness. She says... Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And let's be honest, you have said this before. I, I have. <laughs> Maybe not as brave as that. And in this moment, she is angry, she's hurting. She's, she's abandoned, she is mad at God, and she blames God, and I understand that. Chapter 2, but then when you come to the end of chapter 2, we're, we're going to, see, to walk, away, walk through chapter 2 story, but as you come to end, end of chapter 2, chapter 1 is, I'm mad, I'm upset, where's God, I'm blaming him, and then it's chapter 2, it says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness from the living or the dead. So it's bitterness to blessing in, in two different chapters. You end up, chapter 1 says, I'm upset, where is God? And then chapter 2 says, bless the Lord and his kindness. How do you go from Mara, bitter, to, to, to bless? We all want to know that, don't we? I do. 
And in this story of Ruth, we see how God moves with us in the transition of our life. It's so important for us to hear this today as we walk into another year made up of both blessings and pain and questions and strength and all those things that we've already experienced. Says Naomi had a kinsman of her, her fr- uh, husband, a man of great wealth of, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was who? Boaz. It actually says at tra- as chapter 1 ends and chapter 2 begins, she has a loose relative from her dead husband by the name of Boaz. Another translation says in a way that's, that's very interesting. It says, it so happened. That Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Was it a fluke? Was it a a coincidence that she comes out of chapter one bitter and upset and into chapter this dark transition and then it, it so happened? So we have to pause here because... To understand the ups and downs of this life is to understand and interpret that it so happened moments in our life. It, is it, uh, it so happened when God showed up and placed a person in your life to help you? Was it a, a coincidence? Is it, a, it so happened that in the middle of your nightmare that God decided out of his providence that your integrity would shine through and you would be innocent? Is it, it so happened that God's timing was perfectly matched with what was going on and he decides something amazing and t- the perfect timing and his power in that moment? Is it a coincidence that you had the right person show up at the right time for you? How does Ruth and Naomi delineate between a coincidence and the providence of God? Ruth is the victim of God's silence, and she is mad and angry. And then it so happened there was this this relative named Boaz. And Ruth says to Naomi, it's her daughter, you see. Ruth, she had lost her husband. She knows pain. She chose to be with her and leave everything behind. Ruth says to her, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After one in which sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. You see, a family had hit, and they are moving back home. In, in this culture, especially as a woman, if you were a widow, it was an extremely desperate situation to find yourself in. Who's going to help you? Who's going to provide for you? Many of them were left on their own to perish. And so they come back home in bitterness. And Ruth wants to go out, and so she departs and went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. It's harvest time. And the reapers are working the field and taking the grain and the wheat, and we see the phrase again, and she, what, happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to who? Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. So we, we go from this chance that she had a connection to her husband's relative now to be standing on the field of this very same man. And the Greek actually says her chance chanced upon. We would say, we call that as luck would have it, right? She is out collecting food and she chances upon Boaz's field. And Boaz shows up and sees this woman and asks one of the reapers, who is this woman? 
You know the whole story, right? She's, she's this young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. So they knew her story, and the reaper tells Boaz that she's been there all day. So Boaz speaks to her, listen carefully, daughter. Do not go to the glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maid. So, so for a Jewish man to address a foreigner this way was huge. There's more going on here than you realize, church. We have to remember who Boaz is. Boaz is the son of Rahab, who was a prostitute who was granted faith in the destruction of Jericho because she hid spies. Hmm. The harlot of Jericho became a paragon of mercy. And no doubt Boaz grew up hearing this Canaanite woman had been saved by the Lord and joined to the covenant people of God. It had, been, had to move him to have mercy on Ruth because his family was shown the same mercy. He wouldn't exist without that same mercy, if you know the story of Joshua. It says, let your eyes be on the field. Now, he's saying this because he understands what it is to receive mercy. Listen to his passion and his, his, his strength. And it says, let your eyes be on the field for which, which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to, to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. His, his compassion is so deep-rooted in the fact that he was the recipient of this undeserved mercy. He just kind of just gives it out. Says, stay here. No one will touch you. And he says to her what she needed to hear after losing it all and wandering around with no one to protect her. You will be safe here. She falls to her face and look how she responds. Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? Since I am a foreigner, look what he says. Boaz replies to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did previous, not previously know. Boy, how important it is in, in the middle of your journey to stay close to your personal spiritual integrity. And what God has called you to do. And we're seeing it play right out here. It says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek and seek refuge. And Boaz is reminding her, I know your story and your wages be full. I know, I know all of this. I know how loyal you have been to your mother. I know what's happened to you and, and what you're, you're, you're doing right now. And he says, God sees you. You see, life will bring this kind of experience. You're on a field, but you thought you would be somewhere in, in God's favor. Maybe that's where you are today, at the beginning of this year. And the, the ability to see God through, the, through, uh, through fields isn't easy. Ruth is, is working her way through something that we will all have to work through as we lean into another year. A new decade filled with all the kinds of blessings and uncertainty and the unknown. And it's this, the confidence of knowing that God was with her, but not always certain of what he's doing. I, I've been there. 
She sits at his table. It's really their first date. <laughs> and it says, at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, that you may eat at the, the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate, and she was satisfied, and some was left. Let's watch God's hand on her life. Decade in review, she loses everything. She is wandering around in a foreign land. She happened to be connected to her husband's relative. She happened to be gleaning on, on, on this relative's land. Boaz happened to see her. He knows her story. She is confident God is with her, but uncertain of what he's doing. She now happens to be sitting at his table. Hmm. Pay attention to this, guys. This is, how you, this is how you win the girl, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Husbands, all right, get your pens out. Boyfriends, fiancés, pay attention to this move right here. This is a good move. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not insult her. And I love this. You shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it uh, that she may glean. And do not rebuke her. So, so she's not just after little pieces of grain. When you go out again, you can see the abundance of it. And boy, I tell you, it was customary that one, that, that, that one, would, one way that God provided for the orphan and the, and the poor was people went out to harvest the grain and, and they, stuff would naturally fall to the ground. They, they didn't pick it up and they would leave it for the poor and the needy. But Boaz goes a step further because he's got a little twinkle in his eye. You know what I'm saying? Not just what falls on the ground, but as you gather and bundle, I want you to pull it out and leave so much extra. God was placing blessings in her life to get her through. He wasn't intervening, he was interacting. Sometimes we want God to pull us out, don't we? Man. And it says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, about 30 to 50 pounds, okay? And historically, when someone gleaned like this, they had enough for the day, but she picked up enough here to care for her for weeks. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave it to Naomi, what she had left, and she was satisfied. Her, her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who, he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Hmm. It so happened. And here we are again in verse 20. Naomi responds when she finds whose field that gave her this blessing. I think his name is Boaz. She happened to have a relative connected to her husband. If there were, they were going to have hope of someone rescuing him, it was this guy. And she recognizes God's blessing in the middle of her transition. She may be unsure of what he's doing, God is doing, but she recognizes God's presence right there. And says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to this. So she moves from this bitterness to this blessing within two chapters. 
into God's kindness who has provided, who, has, who hasn't forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. And the chapter ends. Then Ruth the Moabite said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. In other words, come back tomorrow and get as much as you need. And what are you doing later for dinner, right? And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good. Can it be still good when you're standing between bitterness and blessing? It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maid so that others do not fall upon you in another field. She, so she, she stayed close by the maids of, in Boaz in order to glean on to, uh, maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So as the story unfolds, we see how Naomi moves from, and Ruth moves from bitterness to blessing as she sees Ruth's abundance of grain. Naomi sees the hand of God in the middle of her broken story. She sees that God has been working the whole time. She couldn't see it here. She couldn't see it in her anger and her bitterness, but she could see it here. She had learned the art of not writing God off in her season of transition. Even when she was bitter that God had not forsaken her. And if we're going to have any clarity in the middle of another year, we have to see God's hand and blessing in the middle of the circumference of our entire life. And and this phrase, it so happened. Do you know that the name of God is mentioned 23 times in, in just 85 verses in the book of Ruth? Because God is working through the entirety of chapter 1, chapter 2, and next week you'll hear chapter 3 and chapter 4. God is at work. God is sovereign. It just so happens that when they come back home, it's harvest time, right? It's that they they leave a famine and they come back to the ripest producing time of the year. It just so happened to be harvest time. It just so happened that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. It just so happened that while she is there gleaning, Boaz actually shows up while she's there. It just so happened that the servants knew her pain and Boaz finds out about her story and all that she had done. And it just so happened that Boaz happened to be a relative who was a wealthy one. Everybody loves a wealthy relative, let me tell you, right? A a relative who was wealthy, but even more important than that, a godly man. Because God is all-powerful and intervening and in control, amen? But you can't see it all the time. You've been in fields. You've come from a place of plenty, and you've stood in fields, and you have wondered where God was, haven't you? And you're picking up pieces of barley, and you're saying, what? What? I've been faithful, God. Where, where, where are you? You've been in fields where you've, God has sent people your way, 
and not completely remove you from that situation, but bless you a little bit more, not just with a little bit barley, but when you go out again, you pick up pieces of it, and you have enough just for today, enough for tomorrow, enough to just get you through, and you wonder, maybe, maybe God is with me. I'm not sure. And here's some things we have to remember as we walk into another year with transitions and journeys and the known and the unknown. What will sustain us through any transition? God's provision shows up in the middle of our story, doesn't it? Most of you know the end of the story. You know that Ruth is blessed beyond what she is experiencing right now in chapter 2. But the blessing we experience in the middle of pain end up sustaining us further down the road, doesn't it? What God is doing right now, they, they had lost everything in Moab. It drove them to, to come back to Bethlehem. And I know the emotions that come when we end up in a transition that we would never have chosen for ourselves. In those moments, we don't want to run to God. We want to run away from God. And Naomi and Ruth felt all of these emotions. The temptation is to run away from the, the God who, who you thought would be there for you. But if we run, we will miss um, God, what God is doing in the middle of your story. And some of you are hurt by what has happened and, and you're keeping God at a distance. And when you run from God, you and me are keeping the only one who can bring healing and hope and salvation He's the only one that can bring a blessing in the middle of bitterness. And if you never come back home, you will never find what you desperately need the most, and that's his presence and his provision. So come back. And Ruth and Naomi come back home, and God begins to, in the middle of their story, provide a blessing. Please remember, as we walk into another year, not only God's provision, but God cares about all the details of your life. Every person in this room have asked this question at some point in the last decade. If you love me so much, why would you let this happen? I have. Can you imagine Ruth out in the middle of that field who came from blessing? She had to ask that question while she's picking little pieces of, of, of bits of food just to get her through one little day, maybe one hour. God, where are you? It's the person in the room who have been driven from your family because of unrest in your country. And you're here in Newfoundland. You know what it's like to be wandering from Moab to Bethlehem. Don't you? It's the person who's on the receiving end of bad news. And you know what it's like to be wandering from Moab to Bethlehem. Coming from a place of plenty to, to the, the, the hand of somebody else's mercy. A father had a child who was sick in the, in the gospel, a New Testament, and he comes to Jesus and he wants Jesus to do something. And Jesus says, just believe. And the father, be, being honest, says, I want to believe. I really do. Would you, would you help my unbelief? Man, that's how I feel sometimes. Help me to believe you care about me and help me to cast my cares on you because you love me and you care for me. This is difficult, isn't it? But we trust God even though there are moments of unbelief. That, that God, you are in control, you are sovereign and you provide and you care for me even when my belief is not where it should be. 
This is what ha- helps us to move from bitterness to blessing. And the last thing is this. As the team comes back, someone in this room today needs to hear this. God may be silent, but he's always at work. He's always at work. Always at work. He's working throughout the unseen things, through the unseen things in your life. He's in the middle of it just so happened. (laughs) He sees you, he loves you, and he is working. I don't have an issue with God's sovereignty and providence when everything in my story is good. I have a problem with it when I don't see his provision and when I don't see his care and work in my life. And when I come from a season of provision and I know I'm gleaning leftover wheat and have to rely on the mercy of others to get me through, that's when I have a problem with his sovereignty and his providence, to be honest with you. That's when I have a problem and that's when I question where he is. And that's when I think he is silent. But the amazing thing about the sovereignty of God and him working in our life, even when we can't see it, as this story continues, and you will hear it next week through Pastor Rob, that God is working every step along the way, good and bad, from the bitterness to the blessing. We go on to see that God works in a way through Naomi and Ruth that you, you, you can flip all the way over through the New Testament. And see the the lineage of Jesus as you go through that list, you know whose name you see there? Let me show you. Next slide. Have a look for yourself. Ruth. Who gave birth to the grandfather of King David. And if there was anyone who wondered if God was really at work in the affairs of my life, who struggled with God's sovereignty and providence, it was Jesus. As he stood on the cross and voiced the words, God, why have you forsaken me? Why? And the cross this, this morning, as we come to an end, shouts back at us in the, question, in the moments of our questioning God's provision and care and, and sovereignty. It shouts back, I am doing something. I did something. There are days when it don't look like it, but I'm saving you and this world, and I'm in control because I went to the cross, but I also defeated it. Amen? It may not look like God's in control from a global perspective. We look around us. Pastor Justin already said earlier, the fires and the fear and the unrest in our world but he is sovereign. Would you stand all over this room? We see this in the life of Naomi and Ruth and the life of Jesus. And I pray this morning, I pray as we walk into 2020, you will see it in your own life. He provides, he cares, and he is at work. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.